Hello, everyone, and welcome back to What's Your Mess? Mental, Emotional, Social Status of Life. I am your host, Tracy D. Armstrong, and we have another great episode for you today. Today, we have Mr. John Calloway coming to us to share his story. John, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Oh, thank you. Uh, my name is John Calloway, as you know, as you've heard, and I am a truck driver by night, and except for tonight, I am a truck driver by night and a transformational speaker by day, and soon to be author, and um, pretty much I just live my day mild-mannered now, you know, driving truck and making deliveries and delivering chocolate and cookies and candy all over the place. And that's my kind and peaceful life at the moment. At the moment. I heard that at the moment. So <laughs> you, I know that it hasn't always been that kind, peaceful moment as you just spoke of. So let's tell everybody a little bit about your mess and some of the situations that you've gone through. Um, some of the things that I've endured us uh, is, is the list is long. Uh, having been a child, you know, being raised up in one of the most dysfunctional families that you could ever be raised up in. Uh, everybody got issues, everybody problems. I come up in a long list of alcoholics and drug addicts. Um, at once upon a time, my mom, my brother, my sister, my stepfather, everybody was on drugs all at the same time. My other uncles are all were alcoholics. Grandfather was an alcoholic. My uncles, uncles were alcoholics. Uh, growing up in Carolina, you know, watching my grandmother own the um, juke joint, the, the cafe, uh, right on the at Four Corners. And so naturally growing up in that environment, I got to see a whole lot of things that a child should not have seen. But that was part of my life and the part of growing up at that time. And um, uh, spent a lot of time as a child growing up learning where my place was and didn't always have the confidence in myself or believe in myself. You know, my mom, who I love very much, um, you know, had was pregnant with me at 13, had me at 14. Wow. And uh, she had this thing where every time, you know, as we got older, you know, she was still a teenager, you know, child raising a child. She didn't know nothing about that. And uh, a matter of fact, I thought for the longest that she was my big sister and my uncles were my big brothers until my grandmother told me the truth one day, whom raised me. But, you know, every time I made a mistake or said something, my mother had this habit of smacking me in the mouth and calling me a uh, stupid ass. And that affected me in the way I thought and how I felt as I grew up all the way into my teens, because I spent a lot of years as I grew up. Uh, I failed third grade because I didn't believe that I could do the work. And after all the ridiculing and everything from my, my best friend and other friends that passed me on, the following year, you know, I took that test. And I remember sitting down at the, at the desk, Miss Sanders, I still remember my teacher, and she gave me that test. And I kept telling myself, you know, I'm not a stupid ass. I'm not a stupid ass, you know. And I signed it, you know, and I worked on every one of them, them projects real hard. And I passed and went on to the fourth grade. And shortly after that, you know, I moved to Chicago about about eight or nine years old. And um, spent a lot of years in therapy here and there because people wanted to know why I wasn't doing well in school. And 
In actuality, when they got through with all the diagnoses, they said I was easily a 3.5 grade student. I just wasn't trying because I grew up around a, a lot of individuals that really didn't pay attention to me. So everything that I did, I didn't think nobody cared. So I didn't care. And I just kept going through life like that. And it just kept spiraling into one bad decision after another. And that eventually led me to landing myself in prison in Thailand, as you know, uh, for the next four and a half years, for a total of seven years until I transferred back. And that was uh, a good staple of my life. Okay. And, and now, th thank you for sharing that. Because as I'm listening, like, I can really think about, like, I have several students that I know experience that type of situation and to where they, you know, feel and think the same way. Now, I want to ask, because you, you just said you ended up in prison in Thailand. Could yes. you explain a little bit? How did, how did you end up in prison in Thailand? Well, it was, I, I could have avoided it, but it was a little bit out of, uh, I say fear. Um, coming up and being around different people, you know, I got around individuals that were in gangs and, you know, I wanted to be in, you know, got myself involved, you know, with one of the gangs and next thing I know, you know, and I'm, I'm uh, married at this time and, you know, we're very young, you know, I got married, you know, 20 turned to 21. Um, my wife was at the time, which I didn't know, she was like 17, but she lied to me, you know, and didn't tell me her true age until 20 years later. So, so I'm like, here it is, these two young kids who were as dysfunctional as dysfunction can be. Both of us was two individuals totally dysfunctional. We should not have never, ever been together and married. But uh, what happened was, I was doing a little bit of dabbling in drugs here and there, you know, because I'm, I'm looking at the guys that what they got that I was hanging around and, you know, I wanted, you know, like, yeah, I want, I want that nice ride. I want them nice clothes and them felines. And, you know, you don't even hear about felines anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they probably had to Google it to see what those are, you know, but I'm like, you know, I wanted, I wanted to part of that life too. And it was a, a, a next door neighbor of mine who for two years had been asking me to do some work with him and his crew. And I kept turning it down. I'm like, no. And one day, you know, I saw a magazine about Thailand and I was looking at an ad. And one day I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go over there. And sure enough, two years later, uh, he comes in. And what happened with my wife? She had went over to some friend's house. So she came in one day and said, look, you know, my friends have a house and two cars. You don't know, talk about influence. And if we don't have this by this time, I'm divorcing you. Well, I'm young, you know, I don't know no different, you know, I panic. And I'm like, no, I don't want my wife to leave me, you know. I mean, yeah, we were struggling and going through our little thing, but, you know, we were young, you know, we, we hadn't figured out life yet. So long comes the, the very next door neighbor, again, perfect timing. Hey, man, I got this offer, man. Look here, man, I tell you what, if you go do this for me, man, I'll pay you 50 grand. Well, 50 grand? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I said, yeah, we, we can work on that house and two cars, you know? And I was just putting everything in my get my head together too fast. And I agreed to it. And 
And next thing I know, uh, we, we got all the, the credentials together. I got my passport. The, uh, the guys paid for the flight and all that. And the next thing I know, I was on a plane heading to Thailand. Wow. And you were in prison over there, you said, for seven years? I spent four and a half years in Banquan and then transferred back in another two years in, in the States. Okay. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. How no did all of this, because you unpacked a lot right there. That's, that's a lot of different messes within itself from a young age to growing up to like teenager, married, all of that. How were you affected mentally as you were going through these different situations? Well, starting from the childhood, uh, it, it was, I always had this sense that nobody cared because during my childhood, uh, when I, like say for instance, wanted to play football, no one came to see me play football. It wasn't until I was a sophomore in high school that my family even came to a football game. And football meant a lot to me because I knew I had to the, the talent to make it to the pros. But I was that kid that came up where um, nobody paid attention to me. I pretty much got up every day and I was out in the woods playing down by the creek. I was doing everything and figuring everything out on my own. As a matter of fact, I always grew up with the question in my head, what constitutes being a man? How do you know when you are a man? Because as you know, in the back in the day, when you turn 18, it was expected that, hey, when you turn 18, you leaving the house, you going out on your own. And, but the thing is, you know, I, as I was growing up, I always wondered because nobody, no male or nobody in the family taught me what it was to, about being a man. You know, there was never no, let's play catch together. There was never no, let me teach you how to play baseball. There was never no, hey, let's go, let me teach you how to fish. It was never none of that. My grandfather, my uncles, my uncle, no male in the family ever sat down with me to teach me what, what, it, what it constituted to be a man, how to be a man. So everything for me growing up was by trial and error. I was just making bad decision after bad decision you know, coming up. And the only thing that was my saving grace, you know, like in high school, uh, somebody, one of my friends just talked to me about this the other day. How did you get the name Crazy Johnny Calloway in school? And I said, well, it's because I made everybody laugh. I said, not because I did anything goofy or crazy or, or wild stunts. I said, I had the ability to make everybody laugh. That's how I got my attention. That's how I felt somewhat needed or wanted or, oh, I could fit in. It was making everybody laugh. And as I continued to grow, I still was stumbling and fumbling through life all the way until I became an adult because I didn't know what I was doing. Nobody never had showed me what to do. And, and, and going through high school, I was going through all these therapy sessions and things and stuff because everybody thought I was something was wrong with me. And yes, I walked around, I was angry for years. You know, I was so angry. That I, I tell people, I, I, I didn't even know who was my ally or who was my foe. Uh, because when anybody, you know, tried to help me, I would attack them. Like, you know, who the, you are, you know, you, you don't know me, you know, why are you all interested in my life? Why are you in my business? You know, and people were actually trying to help me. And I had got so bad at this that to the point where 
Nobody wanted to bother with me. And then I had to go through this lonely period of a, uh, this me, myself, and I attitude. Like, that's all right. I don't need nobody. I can do this on my own, you know? And, and I got up and I went through life many years, just me, myself, and I, solo until I die. You know, that was my attitude. And, um, but as time went by, you know, God started showing me other things, showing and meeting people, you know, that really saw something in me and started putting some things on my mind. And, and, and I started, you know, as time, prison has a way of making you saying, okay, look here, I, you know, I'm about tired of all this, you know, because <laughs> I tell people all the time, it don't take but a moment to make a crazy decision. But I say in prison, you have plenty of time to think about that decision. You know, mm. that's the show. And you, and you will think about it, you know, and, you, and it won't take long before you're like, you know what, if I had a just, but it's too late for that. Now mm -hmm. you got all these years to serve on that one decision. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and you actually, you answered what I was just about to ask. I was going to ask you as far as how did it affect you emotionally? But like you said, with all the, the anger that was built up emotionally, you only really expressed the anger. And then that led to your social stat, like socially, you like, did you, like, you really, like you say, you were by yourself, but how did you, like you said, you, you, you met your wife and things like that. Like, how did your status of life change throughout this entire process? But through the through the early years, even with being married, you know, because of the fact that I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know nobody get you know you know when you get married, there's no manual for how to be a great husband or a great wife. There's no mm -hmm. manual for that. So I actually got married. Believe it or not, I wanted to all the dysfunction I saw in my family's marriages, my uncles, my auntie, my grandmother, my grandfather. You know, my mother's marriage to my stepfather was very abusive. And it was it was just crazy because they were always fighting and always carrying on. And, you know, being a young boy, you know, you step in there and you're trying to help your mom, you know, but you end up being the one get beat up the most, you know, by both parties. Because, you know, they slinging and throwing things, you know, like, wait a minute, hold on, man, y'all beating me up, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, it got so bad to the point one time I watched my stepfather kill his mistress in our front yard. And I watched her kids because... Her husband, you know, had came and he had the whole family and he found out about the affair and he came to our house and he was actually shooting at my stepfather. I'm in the field just to the left of them, you know, and I'm looking like, wow, what's going on here? And, and, I, and you know, the, his mistress got out, the gentleman's husband, wife, she ran to try to run between them because they had their kids. And she ran and our yard was on like a, a, a braid, it was slanted. And so when she ran, my stepfather was going in the trunk of his car. He had a sawed-off shotgun. So as he was grabbing his shotgun, she was running to get in between the gunfire. When she got to him, her momentum in the braid of the yard, she grabbed it, they fell, and it went off, killing him. And I remember watching the kids. They were trying to drag their mother, you know, to get her in the car. And I remember every morning, you know, when I went out after that, there was this humongous puddle of blood, you know, nobody washed it away. That's where my bus stop was. 
And I watched this this blood, you know, until it dried up into a black spot, you know. And I never forgot that it was seared in my head. So being a young man, you know, getting married, I wanted to be better than my family. You know, <laughs> I, I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna be married for, you know, for 40, 50 years. But the thing is, because I didn't know what I was doing, I was just making decision, bad decision after decision, bad decision that um, I got married and ended up being just like my family. Mm. You know, I didn't set out to be any to be abusive. I didn't set out, you know, to 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 hurt my wife in any kind of way or to be an adulterer or none of that kind of stuff. It's just I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. I was just acting out what I had been a part of and what I seen, I became like everybody else, even though that's not what I set out to do. So as time went by, you know, when I made the decision to go to Thailand, I was trying so hard to please my wife and make her happy. I wanted to be a good husband, but mm -hmm. by us being young, I was just making irrational decisions. We both were. And when you're young, you, you're not even thinking you're making an irrational decision. You know, you're just mm -hmm. making a decision and you think it's cool at the time. And I just kept making decisions that, 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 that kept hurting us. And mm -hmm. we, we were trying to have that, that fairy tale life, uh, you know, the house and the two cars and, and, you know, living well, you know, but we, we didn't know how to, and when we did start making, you know, when I started driving truck and started making good money, you know, we were just blowing it off, you know, like most, you know, on all the filas and the, the leather outfits and, you know, all the nice clothes that we were stunting front. And that's, that's, that's about all we knew how to do. And, and it just all, you know, hey, it all came to a halt when I landed myself in a prison in Thailand. So from there, and with everything that you went through, and I'm just listening and I'm like, oh, wow, like, wow, like for real. How did you clean up that mess and how did you overcome and come out of those situations? I have to say Bangkwan, being in Bangkwan, being in Thailand, I tell everybody that was the best thing that ever happened to me because Ooh. it slowed me down. It made me see my life for what it was. And don't get me wrong, when I went in, hey, I was a lunatic the first two years because culture shock, you know, and I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I didn't know what to do, how to handle it. Here I am in a foreign country. I'm in a prison. Nobody is speaking hardly, nobody hardly is speaking English and everybody's talking something I don't understand. And I'm like, okay, and, but you got people that are manipulating, people that steal from you, people trying to use you, you know, and all these things. So I had made my mind up. I said, you know what? I'm 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 gonna show them, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find the craziest individual in here. And I'm gonna show them that I'm just as crazy as them, if not crazier. Now there were a couple of guys that were a bit beyond the crazy. And I was like, no, I might get too much more time for that, you know, if I try some of the stuff they do it. So I'm like, I ain't trying to stay here forever, you know. But uh, as as it went. I started getting, believe it or not, I started getting a hold of literature, books. Uh, actually, just before that, what happened was, as I said before, you know, uh, I had, when I had got shortly after I got out of the military, I was fighting a racial discrimination suit in the military. Now, 
although there, there was a hellacious fight, I got out with my honorable discharge and everything, but uh, it was very stressful. And that's what partly led to me to being in the VA in the psych ward for a couple of months because I literally had a breakdown. And while I was in Banquan, I started to have that breakdown again. And I was like, oh God, no, I can't, not here, not here. I couldn't afford to break down there because you know everybody preys upon you when they see weakness. And I wasn't gonna allow that to happen. So what happened for me was I asked one of my, one of the Nigerian brothers who was uh, a Muslim, they had a Muslim cell across from where I was in the cell at. And I went to him and I said, I said, Yemi, his name was Yemi. I said, Yemi, my brother, I need to pray. Ask the brothers if I could, you know, become part of the fold, you know, so that I can pray. And I know, you know, hey, they prayed five times a day, but I really felt I needed to pray since I grew up in church mostly all my life, you know, but I said, I needed to pray. So, you know, he said, I don't know. I'll talk to him, you know, my brother, you know, and I said, okay, cool. Next thing you know, they said, yeah, I could come into the fold and I'll never forget I got in, you know, I got my sarong and my kufi and everything, you know, and, and here we are, you know, we're long, we're by, you know, and, and we're doing everything. And I remember that night, I, I sat down, I had my rosary beads and I was sitting down and it was alhamdulillah, 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 you know, over and over and over. And I remember I laid down and I went to sleep and it was the best sleep that I ever had. Mm. And I woke up the next day and I remember looking up and I said, thank you, Lord. I said, thank you for allowing me to rise and shine, you know, to see another day you have made. I should be glad and rejoice in it. What will you show me today, Lord? And I woke up every morning, I kept telling myself that. And then afterwards I started getting literature, you know, believe it or not, They Can Grow Rich was one of the first books that came across my, my hands. And I'm like, They Can Grow Rich way over here. You know, I'm like, wow. You know, and I started reading. And then the next thing you know, uh, I, I came across The Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela's book, mm -hmm. uh, Celestine Prophecy. Uh, I started reading it. That was a pivotal book in, uh, for me. And then uh, The Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Uh, that right there, you know, my heart, my heart. I love that book. And But the main, one of the things that really got me was the, the autobiography of Don King. Don Ooh. King was in prison. Everybody know Don King. Well, everybody back in the day know Don King as the famous boxing promoter for Muhammad Ali and even Mike Tyson and some other folks, Larry Holmes. He was in prison. He went to prison for manslaughter. And Ooh. upon arriving at the prison, he stepped in and he took a look at his surroundings and he said, you know what? I am not going to serve this time. This time is going to serve me. And when I read that, I was like, oh, it was like something went off. And I said, I'm going to do that. And that's when I started, you know, saying, I'm not going back as the same man as I was when I got here. And I was mm -hmm. determined that I was going to turn my life around. And I started doing that from inside the prison until, you know, I finally got on out. And it was amazing because people that knew me in the beginning uh, when I started, people would come like, man, I can't believe that you're the same person because, man, you were so crazy when you first got here. But that was the beginning of it. that quote from Don King, uh, becoming a Muslim, uh, reading the morals and codes of Islam, which I had never read a book like that in my life. And uh, it's just all of it was teaching you about what I was searching for all my life, 
how to become a man. And I was getting those answers and I was working through things. The Celestine Prophecy, um, I, have my, I have my journals right here beside me that I wrote from the Celestine Prophecy. And it was asking questions to go back to the, as far as you can remember in your life and write all, until you can't write how you got to the point you are today. And at that time I was in Banquan. And I sat down and I wrote down what all I went through in my childhood and all that, you know, the taking advantage of, the this, all that stuff. I wrote all the way up until that time. And I remember when I got to that time, I bowed my head. And I, I didn't want to admit it. I looked all around the place. And I finally said, I said, you know, this is my fault. Ooh. This is all my fault. Because I made all the decisions. And my decisions are what landed me there. I could have said no, like I had been, but I didn't. But I was blaming everybody else, but the Celestine prophecy caused me to see that, hey, this is my fault. And once I took responsibility for my actions, my decisions, my thoughts, my feelings, that's when everything started to change for me. Oh, uh... <sighs> Wow, that's good. <laughs> this is very, this is very good. This is very good. It's true. I, and and I know. And I'm just like, I'm like, okay. So a lot of the books, a lot of the literature, uh, you know, religion, things like that. Those are the things that you were able to use so that you could change your life, change your situation, and come out of your mess. If you could encourage someone out there. Uh, let's just say some young man or anybody it doesn't have to even be a young man, but I'm just thinking that let, let's go to the young man. If they are struggling with understanding what it takes to be a real man or what, a, what, what it is to be a man, what words of encouragement would you give to the young man? Hmm. First of all, love yourself. It's not something that men talk about like that. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Before you can love anything or anybody, you've got to love yourself. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to see yourself as being important. You know, David Banner said something you know, uh, that uh, uh, I, I never can get out of my head. He said, you know, the reason why young black men kill other young black men, the same as the police, it's because they see no value. Now, the thing is, the first place you got to see value is in yourself. Remember, I said, you know, hey, I didn't see any value in me because nobody ever, you know, put any value in me. Nobody ever told me, you know, hey, you know, you could do this and you could be this and you can this and that. I, I, I was going through life figuring it out literally on my own. When I learned how to play sports, I, I, I was the type when, when I didn't know how to play basketball and all that stuff. And I would go out and see the guys playing and they would play five on four just so they didn't have to pick me. So I said, okay, I bought my own baseball, bought my own glove, bought my own bat, bought my own football, bought my own bas baseball, baseball, basketball. And I was out there on playgrounds late at night by myself. And I was just shooting, just shooting, just shooting. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm gonna show y'all I can do this. I can do this, you know? And I was building up my confidence and my belief in myself. Nobody, here it is, I am once again, I'm believing in me. 
I'm the one that's out here late at night. I sit out there at the back of my crew. You know how you used to paint the square and the X on the back on the wall and play strikeout? And I used to sit up board and throw and pitch and for countless hours until my arm was sore, just throwing that ball, throwing the ball, playing catch, throwing that ball, playing catch, you know. You know, I bought my own sneakers, I bought my own cleats, you know, I would work, you know, I did everything on my own for myself. Nobody showed me, nobody taught me. I taught myself how to play all the sports I ever played. And the thing is, like I said, as a young person, you know, you may feel like you're totally alone. You may, and you know, and the thing is, I'm like this. As long as you believe in God, you're never alone. We may think we are, but you're never alone. For many years, I just thought I was alone. It was just like that song. It's just me, myself, and I, solo right until I die, because I got me in life. Even when the night is cold, I don't need no hand is hold because I got that fire in my soul. That was my attitude. And I said, hey, you know, I got to believe in me. You got to love yourself first. That's where it's at, because as the saying goes, you can't pour from an empty pitcher into anybody else. You can't. It's impossible. So, and what I want to say, don't feel guilty or bad about feeling good about yourself, loving yourself, thinking of numero uno yourself, because you can't help others if you can't help yourself. You know, you'll just keep spiraling and spiraling. For many years, I just kept going around. It's like that hamster in the little, little wheel, you know, you go around in a circle all the time. You know, this is exactly how my life was. And until I finally, you know, learned how to say, you know what, I ain't taking this long. I am somebody. That's why I love that doggone uh, speech by uh, Jesse Jackson. You know, I am somebody. I might be a garbage collector, but I am somebody. You know, I love that, you know, because I am somebody. And it took years for me to finally realize that, hey, I'm important too. I love me. And when I started, stopped thinking that it was weird to say, I love me. I went, I mean, I went in the mirror in the bathroom one day. I'm gonna tell you, it's one of the hardest things you will ever do is to go in the washroom and look yourself in the eyes and try to tell yourself, I love you. Try to admit your faults and your shortcomings to yourself. Look in your own, you can't even tell the truth to yourself. Hmm. It's very hard. And people lie to themselves all the time, which is why you know so much madness going on out here. Because the thing is, if you if, if if you don't have no hope, that means you don't have no faith. Because you know, faith is what keeps hope alive. You know, and people got to understand that. It wasn't until I started learning, you know, hey, to 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 hang on to my hope, to have faith, and to believe in myself. It don't look like nothing may happen in the beginning. It may look like, you know, hey, ain't nothing going on, ain't nothing happening, ain't nothing changing, but just give it time. You got to be patient with yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Love yourself, you know, and and and, and I'm telling you, especially with, you know, with us young uh, African-Americans, you know, we are not used to hearing love, you know, uh, you know. You think, you know, when you say love, you know, oh, you, you, you a punk ass or something like that. You know, no, it ain't nothing punk about no, about no loving yourself and believing in yourself. Ain't nothing punk about that. You know, but you got so many people, oh man, you may sound like a punk, man. No, okay, well, you be, okay, I'll be that punk. But I'm finna go over here, man, and, and do some loving on myself. You know, just grab yourself and, mm, mm, I sure love me. You know, I mean, it don't make no difference what nobody think, how it look. Just love yourself. I guarantee you, man, when you start loving yourself, you're going to believe in yourself 
that's when everything started turning around for me. You know, it was a foreign concept and feeling to me in the beginning. But when I finally started realizing, hey, there's something to this, that's when I started making better decisions. That's when I started learning how to say no without feeling guilty. Like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. that's when my whole everything. And one one other thing, and remember, like people don't talk about this enough. The only thing that you can change is you. You cannot change people. You cannot change other people. You can't change your homies. You can't change other people's opinions about you. The opinion don't matter any damn way. You know, the only opinion that shouldn't matter is your opinion of yourself. Because most people will never succeed past their own perception of themselves. Because whatever you perceive, whatever the mind perceives to be reality, that is the reality that you're going to live. Whatever your mind perceives to be reality, that's the reality that you're going to live. Whatever you believe about yourself, that's how you're going to live. But you change that reality. Change that reality. There's a whole nother world out there for you. There's a whole nother way of thinking. And believe me, when I discovered that, it was like being in the matrix, but it was like, whoa, I can't believe this. This stuff is really real, it's true. But then I started, you know, walking in that and stepping in that. I kept walking in my truth every day. People started, oh man, what's wrong for him, man? He this and he that, you know? And even my neighbors and all around here where I live at, they're like, man, you don't mess with nobody, man. You come home, man, you see somebody, you just, what's up? And you go on in the house and that's it. I do not do anything more than that. Like, yeah, what's up? You know, keep it moving. I ain't got time to listen to all the neighborhood gossip and all this and this and that. I'm on a mission. I got something to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what they have to do. And and let me just ask you one last question. One more question. Um, how did you become, uh, how did you, you know, transition into transformational speaking? Ooh. <laughs> You know, the story behind it, there was a gentleman by the name of uh, Steve. I'll just say his name was Steve, Stephen when I was in Thailand. Stephen was a uh, award-winning journalist that somehow doing a story on the, the, the drug trade in Thailand, he ended up getting caught up and put in prison with us. And he was the gentleman uh, that sent me the article because Penthouse Magazine wrote an article about me uh, that I didn't even know about. It was all because of my mom. And he sent it to me, and that's how we got acquainted. So one day, you know, he managed to make it to Banquan where I was at, and I got the medium. And Steve had a breakdown. And nobody wanted to help him. And what was is, what was crazy was that one day, you know, as foreigners, you know, we only got one meal a day. We got a bag of rice and a bag of soup. That was your meal for the whole day, each day, one meal. And yeah, yeah, it was it was rough, you know. That's how I went from 210 to 179 pounds. And um, so one day I was hungry, and Steve, you know, Jewish man, was uh, had you know they say we're not we're not supposed to have certain things in prison, you know, money and but it is there, okay. And uh, I asked him for a little bit of money one day. They had this boiled rice in a pot, and when you put that condensed milk in it, because we had, instead of commissary, they call it coffee shop. And you put that condensed milk in it, it tastes just like oatmeal. 
you know, and I was hungry. So I go to Steve, I say, hey, Steve, could you, would you mind helping me out, get some milk, man, so I can, you know, get, and he said, no, he refused me. I said, okay, thank you, I appreciate it. So, you know, I went on about my business, but when he had his breakdown, no other Americans, nobody would help him. He ended up, you know, and I, I'm, I'm getting to the point of the story. He, he, he ends up, you know, breaking down and nobody would help him, not even the other fellow Americans. Now in the military, I was always taught that we don't turn our back on our own. You know, we bring ours back with us, you know? So when I saw what was going on, he was about to get beat by the guards one day and I saw what was happening. So I went and I stood behind him. He was in, in their office, in their area. And they was pulling out these 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 long uh, sticks and stuff. And they was telling me, John, pie, pie, you know, pie means go, you know? And I was like, no, I'm not leaving him. And so I saw one of my other fellow Americans come by and I said, Cliff, I need your help. I need you to grab his legs while I grab him by the, un, under the arms. We got to get him out of there, man. They're going to beat him. So we managed to get him out and save his life. And he flipped out and I was the one that stood by him. As the story goes, one day when he finally comes back to himself, Steve sits down with me and said, John, have you ever, you know, listened to yourself talk? I said, man, hell no, man. Nobody sitting around listening to their self talk, you know, even though I did have plenty of them talks, you know, to myself, you know what I mean? But I was like, no, I'm be sitting around listening to myself talk. He said, no, 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 hear me out. He said, you know, you're very articulate. And he said, and you express yourself very well. He said, now, when you get back, he said, you know, you might, you don't have to take a four-year course, just take a couple of community college courses. And he said, you know, you would make a great speaker. He told me that. You would make a great speaker. And I said, you know what? I man, there's plenty of ninjas, man. That's my safe word. There's plenty of ninjas, man. You know, out there been to prison and you know, and, and you know, they this, 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 and he was like, no, 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 no. He said, How many African Americans have been through what you've been through and lived to tell about it? Mm-hmm. And I thought about it, I'm like, you got a point there. But see, the thing is, over the years. Everybody kept telling me, you know, man, you got a wonderful story. Man, you should tell a story. Man, you should write a book. Well, that's all good when everybody else is telling you. But if you don't believe it, it don't mean nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's taken me all these years for my mental to catch up to what everybody's been saying about me all these years. Mm-hmm. So finally, this is how I finally said, hey, I believe I can do this. I got a gift to gap. I got a story, you know, and I've been talking to people all over the place. Everywhere I travel as a truck driver all over the United States, I have shared my story. It ain't like I ain't got no practice. I'm like, yeah. And everyone, I'm like, man, gee, I'll never complain about nothing again. Man, gee, man, wow. My life, oh, man, I, man, I, I never look at life the same. It's all the responses that I'm getting. And mm-hmm. then I realized, hey, I think, I believe I can do this. Mm-hmm. I believe I just like everybody said, I, I, I do got a story to tell. Mm-hmm. So now let me let me work on this and let me get out here, do these books and just man, shoot, just hey, let somebody put me on a stage. Oh, mm-hmm. it's life's camera action. I mean, hey, just get me on the stage. That's all you need is one chance in life. There's somebody out there that's gonna give you that one break. That's, that's all right. I need. That's, that's right. And that's how, you know, it all came about. You know, I finally started to believe that 
I can do this. Mm-hmm. I have the ability. I have the talent to mm-hmm. do this. You know, and that's why I'm pushing right along. You know, hey, uh, everything might not be exactly where I wanted it right now. Mm-hmm. But the same faith I had in Thailand when they told us that we were never going to come back to the United States, it's the same faith I have with becoming a speaker. You know, the right person is going to come along. The right mentor is going to come along. And one day I am going to be on that stage. And just like I told one prominent speaker out there, I asked her, I said, could you be my mentor? And she said, not a chance in hell. Not a chance in hell. I'll never forget what she said. But I told her, I said, one day, I'm going to be a guest on your stage. I said, you can bank on that. I got to wait a minute. I got to tell I got to ask, why did she say that? <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to your story. And I'm like, man, this would be great. Man, my students need to hear this. I'm like, man, I can't wait. I'm going to play this. And, you know, why would she say that? You know, the one thing that I learned is that, um, you know, people at the top of their game are the just that people. And sometimes they can get so full of themselves and they feel that, hey, I don't need to teach you. You know, hey, I, I got my thing going on. I don't have time. Or, hey, you know, you're not important enough. And, and I found it out because, hey, it, it's been a few of the speakers that we hear about every day that we follow, that I've been in contact with. I have some of their numbers in my phone and yet when i finally i I took a year i was uh uh, a friend uh, a a mutual acquaintance uh uh, mess dm'd her Mm -hmm. and for a whole year i kept communication and she invited me out to california to her uh one of her seminars or how you say it Mm-hmm. And I got up and I went out, you know, and I had, so she knew exactly who I was every time she saw me. I, I have no doubt in my mind that if she saw me right now, she knew exactly who I was. Mm-hmm. And so when we finally got together uh, I t- and I got along with, her, I said, hey, so is there a chance of you mentoring me? And without any hesitation, she said, not a chance in hell. Now, I said. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And I started to walk off. And she said, no, 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 come back here. And she said, where's my hug? And I actually have a picture, you know, somebody took a picture of us hugging and I'm kissing her, you know, and I said, I still, you know, I posed for the picture and all that. And I started to walk off. But I told her, I turned around. I said, I will be a, I will one day be a guest on your stage. I said, you can count on that. You know, if one door closes, there's another one's going to open. I don't yeah. get all bent out of shape and stuff when this doesn't work out or somebody promised me this and promised me that because what God has in store for you, can't nobody stop it any damn way. That's right. Can't nobody stop it. You know, so I'm not setting up, you know, hey, I, you know, it's like, you know, uh, Mr. Sorrentino said, you know, and I love Mr. Sorrentino, you know, and Mr. Sor- Mr. Sorrentino has, has said some of the I mean, most heart-touching things to me, you know, he believes in me. He believes in my ability, my talent, and I'm going to make sure I don't fail that. I'm going to make sure I don't let him down, you know, because, you know, hey, 
I don't have no, no father figure, nobody, you know, telling me, hey, you know, I believe you're the next big thing in speaking. But you know what? I believe I'm the next big thing in speaking too. Yeah. You know, I finally do believe that. That's why I say, let me get on the stage. I'll show you. That's mm -hmm. all I need, you know? And that's, you know, the thing, young people, you know, we're, we're losing so much in young people today. You know, everybody think, oh, well, it's just basketball, football or something. We don't even hear about baseball no more, you know? And, you know, they think that's the only two things that they can succeed in, but it's not. You know, you know, all of us are not going to be NBA players and NFL players, you know, we're not going to be there, you know? So, you know, there's other things that you could be great at. I, I myself told myself, I'm a trucker, 37 years uh, in June, driving a truck. But I've always told myself, oh, I can't do nothing else but drive a truck. That's all I know how to do is drive a truck. I'm going to be a truck driver all my life. Until I started to believe what everybody else was saying to me about me. And then I remember what my grandmother said. She said, son, she said, if your name is coming out of everybody's mouth, take heed, son, because they all can't be wrong. So all this praise everybody's been giving me all these years, I said, man, you know, they all can't be wrong. They, they can't be wrong. wrong. <laughs> so, dude, you get up off your behind and start believing. And yeah. that's exactly, you know, what I started doing. And lo and behold, I is, here it is now. I'm pursuing, every night I come from work, I'm in here working on the book or working on this. I'm learning this chat GPT and all these other things, you know, and I'm an old timer. And I used to go around, you know, oh, man, the government going to be watching you. I, I can't learn that stuff. You know, this, 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 and this. I got more electronics in here than you can shake a stick at. And I'm learning it. Mm -hmm. I surprise my nieces and them every time they talk to me like, wow, Uncle Johnny, wow. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting this stuff down. This is why I say, hey, I'm about to revamp mm -hmm. all of my, 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 my Pimp and Life page and everything else. Positive individuals making progress in life. Mm. You know, as you see with my hat, positivity, you know, I'm branding mm -hmm. myself. I'm doing everything. I'm learning what it takes to do it. I'm not telling myself, no, I'm not telling myself I can't do it. I'm believing, I know I can do this. And that's what young people, so many of them are losing hope. Mm -hmm. And a man with no hope is a dangerous person. And you're seeing, mm -hmm. we're seeing out in our neighborhoods and things just what that is creating. There's a lot of young folks out here doing a lot of crazy stuff, you know, because they don't lost hope. Mm -hmm. They don't have faith. Remember when I said faith? Forward and all issues to heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not at my acronym for faith. You know, okay. they don't even know what heaven is no more. Some of them don't even know what God is. Don't even know how to pray or talk to God. You know, in mm -hmm. the moment that you bring up God, oh, oh man, there you go with religion and all that stuff. People want to get up and say, oh, the universe, you know, and and then the business. No, it ain't the damn universe, it's God. I want to hear about, you know, uh, you know, all these these new fancy names, you know, just say God. You know, get it over with, you know, but, you know, I'm going to try to lead some folks back that way. I'm not saying I'm going to be T.D. Jakes, you know, but <laughs> hey, you know, they, we, we got enough T.D. Jakes and all that. Uh, Joel Osteen's, that, that I leave that job to them. My job is to, is to inspire you enough to where you start believing in yourself and believing that, hey, there's another way to go other than what I've been doing. Because if that way hasn't been working, you know there's got to be another option. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, and a lot of these guys just are not using their heads to see those options because they don't lost hope so much that 
They just feel like, hey, ain't no sense in me trying. Yep. And you remember I said that, you know, earlier, you know, I felt when I was growing up, hey, don't nobody give a damn, so why should I try? Mm-hmm. So I understand that feeling. So you have given so many words of encouragement. Like there's so much in this story, all of the stories, okay? And I don't know if you know, and I know, like you said, people have told you this before, but like, I'm just going to add to that. You have so many amazing stories that will help change other people's lives. So I 100% support you in your transformative speaking, because I believe that all of your stories are going to have a positive impact on someone else's life. So before we leave, are there any last words of encouragement that you would like to leave the listeners with? Just keep your hope alive, keeping an open mind, always believe in yourself, always, you know, keep that shine. Don't let nobody dim your shine. And most importantly, keep the true gangster divinity in your life. G-O-D, God. Awesome. And don't let nobody dim your shine. Love it. So as we conclude this episode, as I always like to end with the famous quote that says, if you want to stay sad, live in the past. If you want to be anxious and worried, keep thinking about the future. But if you want to be happy, live in the present and focus on those things that you have today. This is Tracy D. Armstrong with What's Your Mess. Have a good one, y'all.